Welcome to the Bolt from the Blue podcast, episode 41. We're here in the live Skype virtual studio to talk about Huddersfield nil, Manchester City 3. And we have two guys in the house to talk about this with me. First of all, we have the man, the legend, Walter Smith. Walter, how are you? A legend in my own lunchtime, maybe, but that's as far as it goes. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 it's all good. We're just on this winning streak. What's not to love? Mm-hmm. And also we have... Presswich Blue, Colin Savage. How are you doing, Colin? Good, good as I I was a bit um, tired after staying up to watch the um, NFL games last night. So, uh, but always very exciting. So, ah, the joys of a single I, life. I'll be crawling into bed as soon as this is finished. In fact, <laughs> <I'm asleep>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Well, as I said before, Huddersfield Dale, Manchester City three. The pressure was on us again. Liverpool crawled and scraped through the game against Palace, one at four three. But guys, there's some positives for us. 102 goals in all competitions. A good nearly 20 goals. Better than anyone else in Europe. It's a country mile. Don't know about you, but I was happy enough. Clean sheet, three zip scoreline, three points, all without Gabriel Jesus. Mares wasn't even in the squad. Stones on the bench, two silvers on the bench, and a half-fit Kevin De Bruyne. Let's talk about the first half, guys. Uh, start off with you, Walter. Um, it seemed to be 20 minutes of... Fire and thunder, followed by a little bit of a fall-off in our intensity. What did you think of that first half, mate? I thought we played uh, well. I know we're going to discuss uh, the two major incidents. What was annoying me, and I tweeted about it at half-time, was Gary... I nearly swore them. Gary Neville. Gary Neville. Um, This whole... Oh, he was just building this whole narrative, this whole agenda in his own mind. And it was a case of City... uh, of the lacking intensity, they're not up to the standards of last season. Just look at them. And he kept pointing out, pointing out, pointing out, pointing out. They're not up to those standards. Look, you see, they wouldn't have done that last season. And I was bouncing my head off a wall thinking, Gary, you're talking shite. And the reason you're doing that, well, he does it all the time. But people, people at the end of a season look at the points. Anybody in the right mind will look back in six months' time and go, City 3, Huddersfield 0. Next, what was the next result? They're not going to go, well, for a 20-minute period, I think Manchester City will <laughs> lack that intensity. Yeah. And uh, they didn't look like champions. Because there was games last season, you know, away at Palace, were unbelievably away, lucky. Away at Huddersfield last season. Away we at really struggled. Yeah. This whole idea of, yes, we were arguably the greatest side that's ever won it because we got 100 points, which is the most that's been ever amassed by any team ever. But I put it on there at half-time and the amount of blues just coming back and me going, well, he's, he's perfectly correct. He's, what he's saying is right. We've lacked the intensity. And I thought, but well, that's 20 minutes. We're keeping them at arm's length. We're all, it was almost like rope-a-dope. You know what I mean? It's just, we suffocated the game. That, it just shows there is room for improvement. But in all reality, even with that standard of performance, we should have been 2-0 up if the referee had done his job. Where I'd argue with Walter on that, if you don't mind me coming in, is that I've got the impression a few times this season, we've gone out thinking this is in the bag. I don't like that. I'd rather go out and show we mean business from the start. But if we can kill a game in 20, 25, 30 minutes, fine. I mean, Burton and Rotherham teams like that. But I have noticed a little bit of what you call it, complacency or just expectation of winning against the team. 
which is kind of absolutely marooned adrift at the bottom of the league table. That would be my counter to Walter's argument. Oh, of course, we're not going to play. We're not going to play with 100% intensity every 90 minutes for all 90 minutes. I think we all we all know that. But it, it kind of worries me a little bit that the players may have got it into their heads. I may be completely wrong. But they just have to turn up sometimes and, and, and the, the opposition will part like the Red Sea. Well, to be fair, I mean, as I said, the referee, if, if the referee had done his job, the chances are we'd have been walking in at half-time 2-0 up. But for Gary Neville to sort of... It just annoyed me the fact that Gary Neville was building this whole narrative in his head and Huddersfield just didn't look like scoring. we just got our 100th goal. There was the big hoo-ha about the penalty. I don't know how you describe it. It was almost like... Or we were the cat playing with the mouse just before we were about to trounce it in that second half. Yes, we didn't play with the intensity, but to put such a microscope on it by a pundit, I just thought was a bit meh. It just sounded like he had an axe to grind and he was trying to just or show his intelligence or something and say, look what I'm saying, look what I'm thinking. Uh, you know, and that's why I've got the job that I've got. Well, guys, let's take a look at the lineup before we continue. See if we can find any... Uh, solutions to the question of where that lack of intensity came from after the first goal. I've got a theory about it, but anyway, here we go. So we had an Aderson in goal, Walker, Otamendi, Laporte, Danilo. Now, in central midfield, we have uh, Fernandinho, De Bruyne, and Gundogan. No Silvers. And then, of course, up front, we have the classic trio of Sterling, Aguero, and Sonny. And some people have suggested that that central midfield three didn't quite gel because you've got obviously a three-quarter fit De Bruyne Fernandinho well you know he did his normal destructive role and Gundogan well you know Gundogan can be kind of hit and miss so is that perhaps maybe the reason why that maybe it wasn't quite as intense after the goal that we hoped it might be we'll ask that to Colin yeah, you could say that. We know De Bruyne's coming back from injury. He's not looked the Kevin De Bruyne we've known in previous games. Gundogan, I don't think, really suits that number eight role particularly well. I think uh, where he plays better when he does the, uh, more of a what they call a number six role, so, so the role that Fernandinho plays. Sane very much relies on David Silva to help him out. So I think you could justifiably say... That the, the midfield without one of the silvers, you know, seventy-five percent fit Kevin De Bruyne was was probably not the one you'd ideally want to start with. I think a lot of it was the fact that Huddersfield just sat, uh, you know, circled the wagons round the goal, sat very deep, and it's very difficult to you know to be intense when you've just got ten players sat in front of you with no no particular desire to come out and take you on. But the other thing, the other factor was it, an early kickoff. And, mm. I know it sounds daft. I've heard it said that managers kind of build up the rhythm of their players in anticipation of a three, four o'clock kickoff mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the training cycle. So, so the way you train and the way you recover. And, and I think when you start kicking, I know it's a one thirty kickoff, but I think we've seen when we start that little bit early, we're not quite in the groove and, and, and for whatever reason, we need to kick up the backside. Yes, and I think a kick up of backside was delivered by Pep uh, at half time, but we'll get to that. Walter, such a display of, uh, of power on the bench and even not on the bench. Both Silvers on the bench. Gabriel Jesus wasn't involved. We had unused players in Murich, Stones, Foden and, and Gabriel. And I think it's all about rotation, isn't it, really? The more you rotate things, the riskier it can be. But what it does for me, it keeps the squad and the players fresh so they're not going to be coming in cold. I think Colin had a good point there about it being half warm. They, they were playing, circling the wagons. And if you've got a half-fit Kevin De Bruyne, you, you miss him. You know, the, the lot pickers, you know, neither, neither Silva was there. And I think uh, Colin was perfectly correct again that you, could, you almost see Leroy Sane is twice the player when David Silva's on the pitch. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was lucky that... Uh, he wasn't looking. It was pure skill that Laporte was on the pitch the other night to play that silver-esque ball. But we talk about intensity. Did you see any players not challenging for it? You know, there was that. There was a slight sort of sitting on the ball. But you're almost looking up, and it's like um, you just got a wall in front of you. Just there's less time and less space to be doing things. So I, I think, put it this way, I just thought Gary Neville was just had an axe to grind. And I think City fans are panicking almost that we're not up to that level 
you know, but I think it's healthy competition that we've got at the moment with Liverpool. If we win it this year, it'll be absolutely fantastic and we'll be able to rub their noses in it twice as hard. Do you know what I mean? Than sort of knowing that you've won it at Christmas and sort of turning up for a mass parade each week. But even then, the intensity still wasn't there. So I just think it was unfair to compare it to last season. You're right. All that matters at the end of the day is the three points. And, um, you know, you don't get marked for the brilliance of the goals. You get three points for winning the game. And that's, at the end of the day, when you're chasing the title, that's all that matters in the end. It was 3-0. I do think, I'm looking at my notes, I've kind of summarised the first 30 minutes and said that we were very sloppy. Our passing and movement wasn't great. And we seemed to be second to the ball many times, which is not really what you associate with City, is it? So I think that Gary Neville is right that you know, our t- intensity wasn't there, but... You know, it didn't need to be, did it, for that game? It's... <laughs> no, it didn't, but, you're right. Like, like, I mean, it sounds very disrespectful to Huddersfield, but, you know, apart from putting bodies between us and the goal, you know, they offered very little. And I, I you know, I like Huddersfield. I, I don't want to sound disrespectful, but playing like that, they're going to struggle in the Championship, let alone the Premier League. Because mm-hmm. the, cha- the Championship is a much tougher league in many ways, in the Premier League. Well, some people would say that it's the, the very sensible choice to uh, conserve energy, guys, but um, we had our first major incident really on the 13th minute, and it was the Sterling penalty incident, and oh my gosh. I mean, it's, it's all been said before. Professional referees coming out on Twitter and, and, and saying it as well. How on earth Andre Mariner missed that? I You know... It's not like the previous game, you know, where Sterling was, like, jetting into the box and it only took a slight touch to, to knock him over. I mean, that was an awful tackle by Congolo, Terence Congolo. And I just don't understand that between Mariner, Walter, and the uh, assistant referee, how they didn't see that. I mean, it was plain as the eyes on your head. Uh, what hasn't been said, I mean, just nailed on. We've had two penalties in the league this year. <laughs> you think that was the worst decision I've seen regarding City penalties since uh, Ashley Young Aguero in the derby? Mm. You know, I thought that was worse because that was dangerous. You know, and it was over the top. It was just—I mean, I'm not 100 percent sure why somebody didn't. You know, the way they wear earpieces. How did someone not just pull aside and say, "Look, Mister Mariner, that's nailed on." You know, and it's, we, we see it all the time. You know a million and one sort of times during a season that you know, these guys are getting a, a helping hand. But that, where do you go from there? Colin, anything to add? Well, well, yes, I have, actually. I mean, Walter said it all in one sense. It was a clear penalty. And, and, um, it, it, and interestingly, in the first of the NFL divisional finals, New Orleans lost to Stan Kroenke's LA Rams, who used to be the St. Louis Rams or somewhere, and Stan moved them halfway across the country. But right at, towards the end of that game, there was a terrible call, and they watch everything on video. They've got a whole room in New York. They're watching everything. And there's only one game. This is the, the game. And uh, without going into too much, uh, there was a... New Orleans receiver jumped up to receive a pass and one of the um, LA players barged into him. I mean, it was a rugby tackle, which you can't do if he hasn't got the ball. It's called pass interfere. You're not allowed to interfere with the guy who's waiting to receive the ball. And it wasn't called. And actually, afterwards, I think the what they call the league office apologised for not calling it because it was an absolute shocker. And it'd be nice if a referee came out and said, you know, guys, I got that one wrong. You know, it's a shocker, and I can only apologise. I think it's happened once or twice before. But interestingly, I was um, in a conversation with Keith Hackett, who was the former head of the PGMOL, Mike Riley's predecessor on Twitter. And Mr Hackett, I know some City fans invited him over to a branch meeting. He lives in Sheffield, and he came over, didn't want any money for it. But he's always on about the standard of refereeing these days. But the standard of refereeing is getting worse. Everything you see just suggest that and even looking at people on twitter now they're now saying these guys don't want var do they because they're doing the best to screw it up i don't know it's hard to explain a decision like that from a competent ref although we're talking about andre mariner here but um <laughs> interestingly a friend of mine put a story on twitter that uh, mariner of course the ref was involved in the infamous aguero elbow incident with uh winston reed west ham couple of seasons ago was the last beginning yeah, of the last yeah, season yeah. my my friend was told by a very good source and, and i can assure you this is a very good source that mariner's initial report said i didn't see anything worth punishing. i saw the incident didn't, didn't think anything of it he was then told if you change your report 
to say you did, didn't see it, therefore we can retrospectively punish it, you will get the League Cup final as a reward. And that's <laughs> corruption, isn't it? Skullduggery. And guys, I think... In some ways, the uh, the lack of that decision stands in sharp contradistinction to some of the stuff that went on in the Liverpool Palace game. I've got Mark Clattenburg on Twitter, and he's talking about this ridiculous incident with Mo Salah. Let me read you what Clattenburg said. Mo Salah went down with no contact from Mamadou Sako. It's irrelevant that he did not appeal for a penalty because he was trying to deceive referee Jonathan Moss, who should have issued a yellow card. Salah was accused of going down easily to win penalties against Arsenal and Newcastle, and in all these situations, he has no chance to score, so it seems he prefers to try to win a penalty. As he is Liverpool's penalty taker, he will know winning a spot kick means he's a free shot at goal. He is then likely to increase his chances of winning the golden boot. This is Mark Clattenburg. One thing I've noticed is that when Salah goes down to try to win penalties, his hands go above his head. This is what officials look for when trying to see if a player has simulated. Usually if you are knocked over, you put your hands straight out to break your fall. Until the introduction of VAR, if a player simulates, a suspension should follow, irrespective of the referee's decision. They're getting them. Liverpool are getting this. City, I don't know what Raheem has to do to, to buy a penalty. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? Raheem Sterling's got a reputation completely undeserved as a diver. I know, isn't it? In fact, you know, what, the, the one penalty he did get, I think we all agree, it, well, we all agree, there's no doubt, wasn't a penalty in the, uh, that was in the Champions League game, of course, not in the Premier League. He's got the, rep- <laughs> he's got the reputation of a diver, and referees aren't giving him penalties, I suspect, because of that, or there's something far more sinister going on. But let's, let's be a little bit charitable here uh, and say that he's presumed guilty. But Salah... Everyone knows about Mohamed Salah, apart from Alison Rudd, of course, but mm. let's not bring her into this. I don't know if you saw her comment. Defenders should just get out of the way and not try to tackle him. Then he, <laughs> he wouldn't be able to dive, would he? Salah is now known to be a diver, yet he's still getting these penalties. I know. And Sterling, who isn't a diver, isn't getting them. You know, uh, Wilfred Sahar you know, has a reputation as a diver, and he struggles to get a penalty. You know, I... I think we all suspect there's something going on. You know, Richard Scudamore's desire not to have Manchester City stroll to the title again. Premier League are part owners, are Premier League match game officials, or PG Mall, whatever they're called. You know, it's so the connections and the, the fact you get the same. It's either Oliver, Mariner, Taylor, or Atkinson occasionally for the big games. It, it's just so frustrating, isn't it? You can see it. The one against Liverpool where, where Robertson manhandled him to the ground. Is that not a penalty? As Walter said, the, the, the one on uh, the Ashley Young on Sergio Aguero. How is that not a penalty and at least a yellow card? It, it's just absolutely... It, it's so frustrating. If these things uh, sort of make the, the difference in this season of fine margins at the end of the season, you know, that will irritate a lot of people. But guys, I suppose we could talk about this all day long, but we can't. Five minutes later, we got the breakthrough, Walter. Danilo took a strike and uh, got a fortunate deflection to open our account on the 18th minute. Uh, Walter, if the deflection hadn't happened, did the goalkeeper have that covered, do you feel? Yeah, I don't don't think it would have been a goal, to be honest. It was... um... It's just surprising how much uh, time, room and space that Huddersfield gave him. He must know he's Brazilian. So, you know, it was um, he scored something similar, I think, at Burnley last year. Burnley, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, yeah, he's just got the ball and he's wellied it. But I'm not even sure it was got, it was on target, to be honest. But yeah, the goalkeeper would have got it. But in that kind of situation, what I would always say is you make your own luck. Gone in and we've had a, the guy, if he decided not to shoot, well, then we'd never have scored, if you know what I mean. And he's gone for the bottom left-hand corner, and it's quite an interesting header. I don't know what he was thinking. He's like just sort of uh, tried to oh, not even head the ball, head butt the ball. <laughs> you know, it's uh, a Glaswegian kiss or something. I think we call it. So he's, the defender's unfortunate, but we've made our own luck by having a fairly, you know, a decent strike at goal. And you know, you felt, I suppose, a little bit for the goalkeeper if you were neutral. I certainly didn't, but you know, some <laughs> neutral would have done. Yeah, it was. More than happy with that, as I saw him. Or scoring always relieves that little bit of pressure, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Especially against a team like Huddersfield, who scored 30 goals all season. I, re- I remember saying at the Crystal Palace game, oh, once we get two, this game's over because this lot ain't scoring three. <laughs> so <laughs> you've got to be careful with it. You've got to be careful with these things, of course. Walter, if I could just come back to you about Danilo. Danilo seems to be getting a little bit of a run in the team at left back. What kind of a player? is Danilo. How do you assess him? What do you think of him? 
and uh, what's his future in the City squad? Is he a better option being a better defender than both um, Delph and Zinchenko? And what are his limitations? I think his limitations are he's a right-sided player. Um, and everything you can see is, if you're doing your job, it doesn't matter what it is, and then somebody asks you to do it with your other hand, you're never going to be as good unless your name's Kevin De Bruyne. So, me personally, at the moment, I'd be playing him at right back. Well, once Mendy comes back, I'd be almost tempted to play him at right back. I think Carl Walker's got a bit of time to try and sort this. If Carl Walker's form continues to the end of this season, I think he's gone. As serious as that? Wow. Yeah, it just it just seems to have dropped off a cliff. Um, and if, if, as I said, I, I'm preempting it. I'm on about till the end of the season. You know, if, if, if it doesn't really pick up because I don't think he's overly happy with him at the moment. Pep, he's happy enough when he went in for that rash challenge, didn't he? Twenty seventh um, minute, Walker was booked, which kind yeah. of inhibited him. That was only nine minutes later, Walter. He would have got that last season, and he'd have got the ball. But he just seems to be that bit slower off the mark. Um, and that's causing him to make these sort of lunges. I mean, it was a yellow card. If that was a, if the ref had given it a red, it'd have been incredibly harsh. Mm. But um, as, as I was seeing it, I mean, just going back to Danilo, who you were asking about, he's he's a big, strong, powerful player. Um, you don't really see that that side of him too much. And I like the fact that Walker and him were battling it out last year for this uh, right-back role. And Walker completely deserved to be on top of that battle, as it were, and start the big games and start most of the games. And when he needed a rest, Danilo was there. But Danilo at left-back, again, it's okay as a short-term basis. Because if we come up against, you know, a decent, half-decent team in the semi-final of the Champions League, and we've got Danilo at left-back, it's, I'm not saying he, as a one-off game he couldn't do a decent job, but I wouldn't like to see him week in, week out coming up against decent opposition because I think he'd be found wanting. Is he by our best option at left back? Yeah, he is at the moment. But the thing about Danilo is it, it's his versatility because he can cover either yeah. fullback and he can even do the defensive midfield mm-hmm. role. And I suspect you could probably drop him into the back four, drop him into one of the centre back positions if necessary. But the great thing about him is maybe you know, he, he's decent wherever he plays. Maybe not a world beater, but he'll do a I job. I think he's really good at right back. I think he's really good at right back. Well, well, yeah. well, I think I agree because I think Walker needs some competition, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Because he's got. Well, um, I mean, he gave the ball away in the first few, within the first few minutes. A very careless pass. Then that tackle, which is something you see on the park on a Sunday morning from someone who's been in you know the pub, <laughs> the pub or a club till three a.m. and staggered out. You know, sweating out whiskey. Turned, <laughs> yeah, turned up at nine o'clock for the game. You know, with a bit of a thick head. I was just saying, you could light his breath as he was uh, in mid challenge, and uh, it almost felt like one of the dragons from uh, Game of Thrones. That type <laughs> of play, you mean? Ah, uh, now you're talking my language. Now, guys, imagine this situation: we're in the Champions League final against Juventus, and uh, Pep has got to pick a left back. Are you going to go for A. Laporte, B. Danilo or C, either one of Zinchenko or Delph. Chips are down, guys. Who are you going to go for? Start with Walter. Did you get that? Well, Walter's thinking. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll come in. Um, okay. So you can have a bit of a think. You know, I can see the little wheels whirring in your brain. I think it depends who you're up against. Juventus. You know, if, if you're playing Ronaldo, yeah. I suspect you might want to think about Laporte. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if it's someone else uh, you're not too worried about, you might. You, you might. If you're worried about going forward, then it might be you know you, you might play Mendy or if you want someone who's perhaps a little bit in between you might play Danilo. If, if you wanted to play, there could be circumstances where you might play Zinchenko in there, but not if you had defensive concerns, Bumble. Absolutely, that's not his game. Absolutely, and I was forgotten about Ben Mendy. Actually, he'll be fit by then, of course. He's well, nearly better. Yeah, yeah, he might be on the bench next week, I suppose. Yeah, Walter, have you come to a conclusion? No, 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 not really. I mean, it's um, the only reason I don't like paying the port out there. <sighs> is this whole idea of, I like you in the middle of, middle of the park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether you could drop company in for a big game, I mean, that, that's where Pep would earn his money. I mean, there is a few connotations, but if he got it wrong, he'd be absolutely slaughtered. Pep the ball fraud would just be just highlighting Twitter again, as it were. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I like seeing Laporte in a natural position, but he did such a good job on Salah. But then, again, we played him at Anfield last year in the Champions League, and it was really... Disaster, yeah. So, you just don't know which one you're going to get. I think it was more about cutting the supply line out. So, again, 
that's why he gets paid the big bucks. But yeah, definitely go for Benjamin Mendy. Well, let's leave it there on that uh, question. Uh, guys, uh, but from Danilo's goal in the 18th minute, and notwithstanding Walker's booking on the 27th minute, a lot of people say that from 18 to 45, that's from then until halftime, it was basically about half an hour of tedium. Have, have either oh, of you guys got anything got my, to say about that? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking at my notes, and I've got 39 minutes. Uh, was the first moment of what I thought was real quality. So there was that ball from Fernandinho over the top to Gundogan, mm-hmm. who managed to turn, but his shot was blocked. And that, for me, was the first real moment of quality, a typical City, inventiveness and speed of thought that, that I'd seen in, in that half. And then I think it was the only one I'd seen in that half. It, it's not totally unfair to say that was a you know a forty-five minutes best consigned to the dustbin of history. Um, <laughs> because, and another thing I noticed was particularly in the in the early stages of the game, Sane was coming inside quite a lot, which you rarely see him do. If he could just come inside, it's to go towards the goal. So we'll go either side of the fullback. But he was kind of coming doing a Mares really. The sort of thing that Mares does, just picks up the ball and just comes inside in front of the defender, not trying to get past him. And that seemed a bit strange to me. It's, um, you know, almost like taking the easy way out. Oh, you know, I can't be bothered working up a sweat and putting in the sprint and getting past the guy. But later on, he was um, taking taking the defenders on and, and doing quite well, of course. But it, you know, I think that kind of that sort of summed up that first 45 minutes to me. Well, that, that was fairly early on. You know, Sane didn't look particularly bothered. He look, everyone was looking for the easy option. You know, the passing was sloppy. The speed of passing was, was slow. And it was just, yeah, you know, yeah, 1-0. They were going to come back. We've got the goal. What, what the hell? And I think Pep probably tore into them at half-time. And I, well, I would say for that performance they deserved. Walter? You're missing one of the highlights of the first half, definitely. What's that? It was, uh, oh, my word. It was Mike from Wakefield. It was just absolutely brilliant. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mar- <laughs> Martin, Martin from Wakefield. Martin from Wakefield. Martin from Wakefield. That, to me, was one of the comedy moments of the year because you could see the, the Sky camera was focusing in on this fella and it was just... Uh, yeah, that, he said it, the, the manager wasn't turning up. This is a bit disrespectful. Almost like the, the Mancini Hughes kind of drama rolling out. But then you see the Sky commentator coming down the steps and trying to grab a word with him, as if to say, look, can you come and have a word? Are you such and such? And you can just imagine, oh, no, your name's Martin, I'm from Wakefield. <laughs> so that to me was the, uh, it could have been one of the highlights of the half, but to be honest with you, that's one of the highlights of the season when it comes to your Sky. <laughs> it, it was on the par with that Chris Camaro one, wasn't it? Oh, there's been a red card, Chris. Yeah. At the game he was covering. I don't know, Jeff. I don't know, Jeff. Has there? That was a funny moment. I thought it was just a substitution. Guys, just to, just to give you a, a, just a bit of background to that, of course, Huddersfield had appointed Jan Seward, a 36-year-old. He's uh, He was currently uh, was a coach of Dortmund's under-23s. And this Martin from Wakefield, Howard Hawking thinks that that's, that was a setup because Martin from Wakefield was sitting with the director's and uh, they thought that they'd sort of stage planned this little comedy moment. And of course, to give the Skyman a bit of credit, they are virtual doppelgangers. They really are. There's been a a bit of a, a little video put out by Huddersfield tonight where they show both uh, the new manager and Martin from Wakefield in a bit of a comedy sketch together to introduce Stuart to the team. That was a funny moment, but possibly not the funniest. One thing that maybe Walter didn't mention was that Huddersfield actually, before kick they tried to play a farewell message from David Wagner on the big screen, but the sound failed, and the public announcer had to ask the crowd to lip read. It was quite funny, and then eventually they got it. They got it going in in the halftime break, so uh, that cleared it up. But yeah, guys, I don't think there's too much more to say about the remainder of the first half. But uh, Walter, is there any doubt in your mind that Pep delivered a bullocking at halftime? I think there would have been quite a few rockets placed up, quite a few arses. Thank you. Oh, Colin was speaking before, and as a fan, in many respects, we want we we're interested in the result. Uh, but Pep, he just thinks this sort of, oh, I've never met him, but you can imagine. And he's the type of guy who would be completely lambasting him. It's the performance, it's the beautiful game. You know, Johan Koroy's ghost he wants sort of on the pitch. 
And uh, to be fair, they weren't getting that. And you can just imagine, I always think if Pep was telling me off, I'd probably get about one word in every three. So I'd have to, you know, you're kind of like really hanging on his coattails. Less of the back to basics, as it were, and more of the flair. And you've seen the goal. I know we're going to move on to it, but oof. It was a lovely bit of interplay before then, Mike. I'll let you. <laughs> well, we did start. We did have a great start to the second half. I absolutely sure uh, Pep delivered a rousing pep talk, and uh, I, I suppose the first in- incident of note was that Fernandinho was booked on the fiftieth minute, and he was actually replaced nine minutes later by David Silva. Uh, I guess uh, Pep taking no chances there. But in between, on the fifty-fourth minute, a Leroy assist. For another sterling headed goal. Colin, do you recall this? What did you think? I do, yes. Um, I mean, we come out with a lot more purpose in that second half. And, and you know, again, my, looking at my notes, 48 minutes, there was a really nice move, quick passing move. Sterling got to the byline, but the cross ended up in the goalkeeper's hands. But yeah, um, Kevin De Bruyne played the ball to Sane, who was in, in space. There's a debate about whether he was just offside or not. And I've said it before, this his toe was offside is nonsense to me because that isn't gaining an advantage. Uh, and when they put the line, it was still difficult to tell when they when they actually reviewed it afterwards. Justice. It was appallingly difficult to tell. Justice. So I think you've got... They, well, they say offside is a binary decision. Either offside or you're not. But how... Even when you slow, you know, even when you had the freeze frame with the line drawn, it was almost impossible to say whether Sane was offside. So how the poor assistant in real time was expect to see it. So, so I think there's got to be yes, you can say offside is a binary decision, but you, it was still a struggle to see it even in that circumstance. So I think you've got to give the player the benefit of the doubt because yeah, as I said before, is his big toe gaining being in front of the last defender? The heel of the last defender gaining, really gaining an advantage. I really can't. I'm going to quote Virgil van Dijk here in his famous little uh, TV Who interview. Cares? Who cares? Leroy was in space, which was unusual. Huddersfield had left him back, left that room, which they, they, you know, they'd stopped circling the wagons. And, and his cross was just perfect for a diving header from Raheem Sterling. And that's his second second consecutive header. Two-headed goals. Yeah, Walter, do we not like that? Yeah, we certainly do. It was a case of, I think, they left Leroy Sane in some respects because Kevin De Bruyne was on the edge of the box. It was the pass from De Bruyne that made it and the ability to, to feed Sane or just to see that, yeah, there's a player that's free and he's in a better position than me to, to put the cross in. He was thinking steps ahead like any sort of chess player, as it were. I think the Huddersfield, for me anyway, if I was a defender and I see Kevin De Bruyne in that space, I want to shut that space down because I know how good he is with either foot and, you know... Quite easily, he could have bent that into the top corner. I mean, they've all been talking about this wonderful De Bruyne moment, but it was a different type of wonderful De Bruyne moment. He's knocked it out to Sane, and Sane's just put his head up. And in some respects, of a team of Huddersfield size and stature, the quality of the ball going in to find Raheem Sterling's bombs just must be perfect. And that's exactly what he, he whipped with a lot of pace as well. When he first hit it... I, I almost thought he was going for a shot that was that much pace put on it because it's very hard. If you're putting crosses with that pace, it's very hard to get on the end of them sometimes because if they're only fraction out, you've no chance of getting it. So, what a cross. How many times do we see Sane do that? He did it against Wolves, didn't he? Playing Sterling in for the first goal, was it? But the cross is just inch perfect. It's beautifully weighted. You know, it misses the keeper by six inches it's on Sterling's head or foot or whatever. And Sonny is so good at that. Mm-hmm. who else is good at that is Mendy when we get him up and running. Yeah. He's got that same ability. So can you? it's going to be double trouble on that wing, isn't it? Yeah, when Sonny puts those balls in, they're always, always perfect. Mr. Leroy Sane was, as they say, on one. This time it's Leroy again, but this time he's not assisting, he's scoring. Yeah. Leroy scoring. This was a beautiful, a beautiful cushioned header assist from Sergio. He didn't get much out of the game, but he did that beautifully, Walter. Well, it reminded there's one word that just summed it up for me was nonchalant. You know, it was just he's got in front of the goalkeeper, little dinky toe poke. You know, it's oh my gosh, Walter's got the thesaurus out tonight, guys. Nonchalant, well, it, yeah. dinking, nonchalant. <laughs> Dinking. Well, it, yeah, yeah, dinking. And it was one of these where he's, um, he's headed with no power whatsoever. <laughs> he's on the edge of the six-yard box, and he's just, yeah, poof. It's a, la- a lazy finish, but it's not lazy, if you know what I mean. It just looks lazy. It just, yeah, that'll do. Just, just cross the line. Yeah, they go on about Firmino's no-look finishes, but 
Sonny had sold the goalkeeper, I think, a visual dummy there. Oh, he no, made it the eyes. it was going to go to the to the far post. And he just little flicked it off the outside of his foot, passed on the other side. Someone else to, to get some credit is Laporte, who uh, I think it was, played that ball to Aguero. Yeah, it was I, another that's right. beautiful ball. Mm-hmm. Can I make a point here? You okay. can never give Laporte too much credit. <laughs> nope. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, another fabulous pass to set up a goal. Mm-hmm. Two games on the run again. Well, it's one of those where Aguero, there was nothing else Aguero could have done. Do you know what I mean? Just to, to set the goal up. That was, and it was a really nice sort of cushioned header. But as nice and as the cushioned header was, it was still difficult for a player of lesser quality than Leroy Sane to, to take that ball on his chest and to bring it down with the ball bouncing still. And then just to, I could just imagine go, pa, as he kicked it, just pa. And then he runs off and uh, gives uh, um, the captain salute to all the uh, yeah. the fans. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's lethal, isn't he, son? He, he is absolutely. Is is he the new? Is he the new Ronaldo? Ice in the veins, guys. Ice in the veins. <laughs> well, he's he's got the physique of Ronaldo, you know, at that young age. Yeah. But what he's also got is that sort of. He's got the same gait as him, you know. Whether he, I mean, he's no, no, he's not the new Ronaldo anyway. He's going to be the Leroy Sane. We're seeing that not just the growth of him into from a boy to a man. We're seeing the growth of him as a player to achieve. I mean, his ceiling is just for me anyway. uh, Call me blue Bertie or whatever, but I see his ceiling as a Ballon d'Or winner if he fills it. You can see the incremental steps. Because, let's get this right, last season, this season, Pep's not just shoved him straight into the team. He's, he's handled him well and brought him in as and when at the beginning of the season. And there, there was red tops in August and September. We're trying to make mountains out of molehills, saying there's a problem here. And we've got one of the best young talents and we're not playing him and Pep doesn't play the youth, etc., etc., etc. But Pep's like thinking, well, this guy, to get the best out of him, and this is, Pep's the guy who introduced pretty much Messi onto the world stage. So he knows what he's doing with supreme talent. And if you were Leroy Sane's parents or family or loved ones, and any time he came in moaning about Pep, you just tell him to shut up and just listen to what the guy's got to say because he's got your development at, his, at the, the core of his heart to be the best footballer and play that beautiful game that anybody can see. Colin, do you reckon that uh, Pep might do, uh, do a Wenger and eventually convert Leroy into um, a Thierry Henry-type striker? Well, that's the, that's the point I was trying to make, really, that, that no. you know, he, he's, he's a wide player. You know, we can and they can put the like we said, he can put those crosses in that are per inch perfect. But he's also a lethal striker as well. I mean, that that goal, that third goal, was a striker's goal. It wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't a freak. It was no one could have expected that header from Aguero. Mm. Um, and he took it on and he was on it like a flash into the box, flick it past the keeper. And say perhaps Ronaldo was a bad example, but yeah, you know, Ronaldo, that sort of player, Ronaldo, Thierry Henry, he definitely, I definitely think he's got that in his locker. Come on, Walter, don't rain on our parade. You, you disagree, no, Walter. No, it's I good listening. Well, no, just this idea of uh, Thierry Henry as your forward man is not the way football's going. He will be something uh, under Pep, but he, I don't think he'd be played as this centre-forward Thierry Henry type striker. He's going to be part of a, a rotational three, coming in from yeah, the left, coming in yeah. from the right. I don't think he'll play him as a traditional centre-forward, but he has the attributes of someone like Henri and Ronaldo when, when he sees the goal, he has the ability to score, you know, put the ball in the back of the net. And, and as you say, oh, he, he, he can come in from wide, he, his natural position is wide, but in that position, he was inside Aguero. He was central at that particular moment, wasn't he? If I, if I no, no, the goal, right, like. Undoubtedly he was, uh, but that's what I'm saying to you. I think he's going to bring, because football's always evolving, and you look at the you know the, the top three, and I was watching the other day. Um, Sterling and uh, Leroy were swapping sides at various times during the game against Wolves, I think it was, just to see yep. something different, just to try and give a little bit of a different problem. And he's comfortable on either side. I think he's better coming off the left, but he's comfortable on the right, and he's certainly comfortable in the middle. But this is a play. I mean, some of the. He's got that movement of pace. Honestly, it just reminds me of like a wild 
sort of, uh, you know, like a panther almost. Just that athletic ability in his body to yeah. shift either side. And he's got the, the eye of the tiger as well. I'll just throw that reference in as well. Oh, my, gosh. Oh my this gosh. is This is, this is a, I know, smashy and nicey. <laughs> this, is a, this, is a, this is a kid who, as I said, I mean, I've said it two minutes ago, he could go, I believe he's got that potential to go on to be a Ballon d'Or winner. And we're seeing these incremental steps. Put it this way, if we, we went to put him on the market now, we get a damn sight more than what we paid for him. Whoever went out and scouted him deserves a, you know, just a, a, any type of bonus you can think of because that's fantastic talent spotting. And, you know, there was other clubs starting a circle, but we've just gone in deadly and said, yeah, there's your money, we want that kid. And he was a kid when he first came over. You know, now he's a dad. And as I said, you can see him growing into uh, into a man, but also, I don't like to use the, word, the term world-class player because world-class can mean so many things to so many different people, but just an elite-level player that, as I said, potentially could go on and win the Ballon d'Or. Guys, we've got to finish out this game. I think uh, our opponents only had about four chances in total, but three of them were in the last uh, 15 minutes. Bernardo Silva came on and replaced Leroy on 72nd minute. Mounier, in particular, got about three chances, the last of which I thought was an absolute certain goal, but somehow, um, when I looked at it like two or three times, it looked like that maybe Laporte had got a foot in to stop that one uh, going in. Did you did you feel that, Colin, that just in the last stages, um, they were coming into it a little bit more? The game did open up a bit. After we went 3-0 up, again, I've noted, the game did open up a little bit. And I was having a bit of a discussion with Stefan, actually, on Twitter, about bringing, he said, oh, bring David Silver. And I said, well, not, not while the game is tight like this. Silver's best games are not where there's a four to five, uh, five yards apart, because that, that denies him the area which he works best in, you know, that moving between the lines. And, and him, I always, perhaps I'm, I don't know, perhaps I'm being a bit simple, black and white here, but you know, I see him in those sort of positions trying to thread his little passes through. And, and, and he's trying to do it against double the opposition that, that, that he does do when he's in the space. But, but after that third goal, Huddersfield seemed to, seemed to realise they had nothing, to, nothing further to lose, really. And the game did open up a little bit. So I'm not surprised they had a few chances. And David Silva did come on at that point, although I don't recall him doing a, a huge amount. But um, no, no. The, the game definitely did open up. So it didn't surprise me they got chances because they had they had little to lose. The 3-0 down, you know, what are you going to do? Stop stop a score in a fourth? You, you may as well go for it yourself. And, you know, to hell with it. I don't suppose there's really any any point in asking who's your man of the match. It's obviously Leroy Sané. Uh, any any arguments for uh, anyone else? Walter? I almost think you could give it Laporte there. Uh, just for shutting down most of the, You know that goal, golden chance right at the end? That pass yeah. up to Aguero? Because Sane was blow, blew a little bit hot and cold in that game. You know, he took his goal well. He got the ball through well. His movement was good for that. I'm just trying to think. I thought Fernandinho had a fairly poor game. Um, he was very poor, yeah. And I was wondering, was he was he carrying a knock or something? And he's normally your mainstay, as it were. So, man of the match. I'm just, I could easily give it Sane. But I'm just going to be an awkward git. And now I'm going to say Laporte. I thought Sterling had quite a good, you know, quite a good game on the quiet. Got, got another good goal. He was in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. Worked really hard. He had one or two moments where, but yeah, I, I think you've got to give it to Sane. Really, it's uh, okay. We'll give the, you know, a goal and an assist. Well, Blues, let's put that uh, game to bed and consider what's coming up next. We've got the bees. We've got Burton in the League Cup semi-final. Dead rubber. <laughs> Bird, listen, you, listen. I've been a city fan long, have you, Mike? Yeah. Oh, only since 1978, <laughs> mate. Only since 1978. But I know all about it. But 9-0, I'm quite confident. And then we've got the FA Cup fourth round match against Burnley on Saturday. Uh, finishing off January is the away game on the 29th of January against Newcastle. Now, I'm just thinking, guys, the game against Burton on Wednesday, I'm guessing that all of those players that didn't figure today um, are going to be in this game are going to be up against uh, Burton. And I'm thinking here about Foden, 
and Mares particularly, and uh, Murich may come in as the goalkeeper, may get uh, a run out with uh, Garcia, yeah. possibly paired with uh, Company or Otamendi, maybe uh, uh, the middle at the back. And uh, what, what do you think, guys, about... Uh, we'll start off with um, Walter there. Am I right assuming that all of these unused players <laughs> w- will play against Burton? The majority of them. I'd still play Walker. I think he's got to just play his way through this bad patch. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I'd play... You're looking at Mares, Jesus... At the end of the day, it absolutely doesn't matter overly who we play. And the simple reason for that is if we lost 5-0, you know, we're, we're going to Wembley Blues, you know what I mean? It's uh, we kill that game. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it, you know. It's almost like a second home. And um, I just, again, that's what I'd go for. But would you be surprised if Pep, again, he's trying, it's like trying to figure out Brexit, Pep is, you know, <laughs> Pep said. You just don't know what's coming around the next corner and you don't know the weights of opinions and pff, it's um, a riddle within a riddle. So I'd suggest that's what I'd look at him playing. Will he play that? 80% sure. Mm-hmm. Colin, on Saturday, the FA Cup fourth round, that's a very kind draw against Burnley, isn't it? Because... I'm not sure many people would think that Burnley are that much better than, than Huddersfield. What do you think, Colin? Well, I think we, we beat them 4-0 last season in the third round. Drew as well. Mm-hmm. That was in the league, though. And then, no, I mean, we oh, beat them no, in the no, cup. No, no. Yeah, we beat them in the yeah, cup yeah, last yeah, yeah. season. They're, they're looking more at survival at the moment, so I'm sure they'll be, they won't be overly concerned if they go out of the cup. Shondash, shondash. Um, it sounds like a dirty phone call, doesn't it? She phones you out, she'd be bricking it. I think he's going to what I'm wearing. <laughs> so, what are you wearing? God, my God. Walter, yeah, but uh, what about um, what about the uh, the final game in January? I know this is a little bit um, early to talk about this, but um, can we break through Rafa Benitez's two lines of four players and the you know all of the you know he's a master of the of the the dark defensive arts isn't he quite confident we can stick a few past them eh yeah 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 i mean you look at newcastle's record i mean the say say burnley you can imagine we'll be only too happy to go out the fa cup concentrate on on survival newcastle again just looking at their record they've only conceded 31 goals which is by far the lowest in the bottom half of the table mm-hmm. so you've got everton on 33 Brian and Hove Albion have only conceded 32. As of Crystal Pots, uh, and Newcastle conceded 31, but they've only scored 19. So that behind Huddersfield, they're the second lowest scorers in the division, along with Cardiff. Mm. So again, you think, you know, it's going to be a little bit, it's going to be a little bit a case of making sure we score a couple or making sure we don't concede. Mm. I th- well, I mean, any game. I know it sounds a bit stupid, but you know any game is like that, isn't it? Score a couple of doubles, see you. You'll you'll beat Newcastle, Manchester United, Arsenal, Chelsea. But with Newcastle, you think there's not a lot of creativity up front. Mm -hmm. You know, you you see them struggling to score. I think the thing in our favour is that they'll see us almost as a and perhaps save the players, save the Rondons for the games they do need. They do have a chance of winning. I don't know, but yeah, I mean Newcastle. I mean they gave us a problem last season up there. With Benitez's ultra defensive masterclass, I think um, we've got enough this season to you know to, to overcome that. Really, I think we're, in many ways, although the intensity wasn't there against Huddersfield, in many ways we are better this season. And everyone's coming back. Everyone's getting into the, the nice thing is, uh, as Liverpool have got players going out injured, as as Arsenal, as um, Tottenham, uh, Spurs are getting players going out injured. We're getting all our players back now. So if we can stay injury-free, you know, we're playing them all in. We've got the squad. We've got the fit squad. We've got, you know, some decent games. Burnley at home in the Cup. Burton away, obviously, this week. But Burnley at home in the Cup. Newcastle away. We've got the games which, you know, shouldn't really be giving us should allow us to play those players in. Walter, talking about goals conceded, the gap is narrowing between uh, City and Liverpool because we have conceded 17. I think Liverpool have now conceded 13 from their very stingy start. Um, sweaty palm time for Liverpool as these goals go in against them, eh, Walter? Not if the Crystal Palace goalkeeper's playing. <laughs> he must have been on the Anfield payroll. <laughs> I've not seen it. He ran out to Salah and just stopped and allowed him to get the ball. And then there was the one where he just seemed to chuck it into his own net. And I thought he should have saved the one against Marnie as well, myself. But um, yeah. fair play to them, you know, they've got the four goals. 
Um, I, as I said, I think they're providing a really fantastic, fantastic challenge. And we need to keep rising to this opportunity. And Blues, if we win the league this year, as I said, it's just going to make it all that extra sweeter. You know, we still, there was moments and highlights, but over the last few years, one of the highlights for any City fan watching a game of football, it was, same things I'm thinking, Stevie G's slip. We've even got a song <laughs> about it. And um, Chris we, Stamble when they were 3-0 up, you know, and that, that's what provides the memories, as it were. And, you know, they're a great team. I don't think they've got the squad that we have, and I think ultimately that's why we'll win it. But they're a great team, and they're there to provide a challenge. And if they weren't there, they had the same amount of points as last year, we'd be walking this league again. So, you know, it keeps, keeps bloody sky and the advertisers happy, but, you know, going to Newcastle, I love one of my favourite away grounds. I saw Andy Dibble, I think it was, concede the uh, fastest own goal in Premier League history. I hadn't even sat down. I managed to turn up on time for the game. I'd had a few pints and I'm just about to take my seat and we've let a goal in in nine seconds. But the Jordies, you know, have always had a fantastic time up there. I wish them the best of luck, but not that game, just for the rest of the season. You know what I mean? These are games that are winnable. If we want to win the league, we've got to go and win them. If you really want a good laugh, I would definitely check out True Jordy on the YouTube uh, channel because uh, I just saw a video with him calling out Rio Ferdinand for some of the crap he talks on uh, on air, and uh, that's, a, that's a really, really funny show. Well, there's pl- plenty of material there, isn't there, uh, <laughs> talking about Rio Ferdinand talking crap. It's absolutely right, and Walter's right. You know, a lot of people, when they talk about their fantasy uh, goal, is, um, is something like um, Raheem Sterling scoring a goal off his backside in the 93rd minute against Liverpool. That's how it is. I mean, victory is all the sweeter when the team that has been chasing you or has been in a competition with you, they narrowly fail to to allow you to win. I mean, it's kind of like a double pleasure, isn't it? It's kind of, you know... Particularly when it's Liverpool and United. Yeah, schadenfreude, schadenfreude, taking pleasure in in the misery of others. But anyway, I guess we better... (laughs) Best... Oh, you just sound like Mr. Doyle. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But we better leave it there, guys. We've run out of time on this pod, but uh, we're not going to let you go without uh, saying goodbye and expressing our gratitude to our two guests. First of all, the one and only Walter Smith. Walter, thank you so much. Absolute pleasure, and uh, I hope the, the Blues enjoy the, the games as much as I'm going to enjoy them. And press which blue, Colin Savage. Thank you, Colin. Uh, it's a pleasure, but you're not going to talk me out of being nervous on Wednesday night. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Book well, your plane, book the ticket. We're there. No, no, no. Dead, gone. Well, guys, uh, we'll be back with you after the next game. So until then, as we always say, have one on us. And in the words of Sean Dyche, up the blues. Oh. 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 Oh.